As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. For this introduction, I need to go to a note which was codified in market economics. Long ago at C.J. Lawrence, you had a headline, and then you had a subhead, and then you had a chart. And it was, of course, the discussion around the chart that led to the invention of modern market economics. And many people would say this began with Ed Hyman at C.J. Lawrence just a few years ago. Ed, let me get to your most recent note, coveted on Wall Street. Remember, folks, we protect the copyright of all of our guests. Get the Ed Hyman note through Evercore ISI. Ed Hyman, we're back in the old normal inflation range. Is it all clear on the Ed Hyman front for Jerome Powell? I wouldn't say it's all clear, but it's pretty darn clear. It's clear enough for them to continue to pursue the pause. Uh, whether they cut in March is a little early. They might you know, want to wait another meeting or two. Uh, but my strongest conviction is that inflation is slowing and will continue to slow. You have rents, wages, uh, but I don't want to overlook uh, that there are some prices that are going up like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in general, I think that inflation uh, is coming down. And Tom, as you know, I have a a warm spot a warm spot in my heart for Milton Friedman. <laughs> and uh, money money growth has slowed down, so I'm I'm sort of following his right in his footsteps. Ed, I'm looking at shelter inflation as a part and parcel of the goofiness of OER. You've always ignored that. You've gone out for granular data and you feature mortgage rates coming down. Is the mortgage rates coming down from 8% say, is it a linear function or is there a tip point where home building becomes normal again? It, it seems to be a tip point somewhere a little bit above seven. Uh, mortgage rates were eight. Uh, maybe a little over eight, and now they're around seven. And all the information that we have uh, shows that housing has bounced back pretty nicely. Uh, Even, Tom, we're getting a little bit of an improvement in rents, Hmm. which surprises me. For three weeks, uh, we survey, the survey we've done of apartment companies has picked up a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Excuse excuse me. 
It's so, okay. And, we we allow gasping on the show, Ed Hyman. I'm gasping all the time. Even Lisa gasps when it's okay. You know, just have please. some tang and move on. Paul, hey, save us. Ed, talk to us about the labor market. I have been so amazed and surprised, pleasantly so, by the strength, the resilience of the U.S. labor market. How do you put that into context with everything else that's going on out there? Well, the economy's still pretty good, but I'm just I'm just telling you what you just told me. It's pretty good because the labor market is still pretty good. Yep. Uh, in about 25 minutes, we'll get another reading for unemployment claims. But uh, unemployment claims are the government's best economic <laughs> indicator. And last week, uh, they fell below 200,000. It was just incredible how low they are. Uh, and so until the labor market eases up a little bit, uh, the Fed is going to be reluctant the cut rates. I think they'll be happy mm-hmm. to be pausing because inflation is coming down. Uh, now there are, I, I thought you were going to say uh, that you've been surprised at how much wages have slowed given how strong labor markets are. Right. But there are some signs that the labor markets are easing up. For example, the base book came out last week and like some others, it showed some easing in the labor markets. And we survey employment agencies every week, uh, like a Manpower Inc. Yep. And and they and they have reported right. a clear uh, easing up in the labor market and in wages, and uh, a measure by Indeed, uh, labor market company, uh, right. has showed a wage tracker has come from five and a half down to three and a half. But there's a lot of signs that labor has eased, but not enough. Uh, I'm not, I guess, I guess I've been, I'm not sure shocked, but I've been surprised, but whatever it is, it's the key. Yep. You got to get labor right. to ease up some, to get the economy to slow down more than it has. If you're now, just- employment increases have slowed from about 500,000 a month. They were in- increasing 500,000 a month. And the past three months, they've been about 170. So, you know, it's like, you know, watching a, a frog cook in a pan. <laughs> they, they, they don't notice it, but I notice it. Uh, a and, wonderful thought. Ed Hyman with us here. Evercore ISI. We're going to continue. We are commercial free. Don't, don't go away, Ed. We are commercial free across this entire hour. Lucas Shaw to join us on the side of the economic data here. Uh, but on YouTube and on CarPlay, we're thrilled to bring you Ed Hyman this morning. Paul Sweeney? So, Ed, can we officially take... I don't know, for the remainder of 2024, can we take the recession talk off the table? I'm, I've had enough of this. How about you? <laughs> well, I probably have been uh, you know, giving you a problem on this, but I don't think so. Uh, I appreciate the question, and, and let me give you my best shot. Uh, so the yield curve has worked seven to- six times in a row. Every time you've had a recession, the yield curve's been inverted. So I'm just saying that we've had extreme monetary tightening. Now, it's taken 18 months for that to work. So long that by the time you get to like month 14, all you and I want to say is like, get out of here. It's not (laughs) going to happen. It's different this time. Uh, But the yield curve inverted, for example, uh, in the summer of of, of 06. Uh, And the recession didn't start until 08, 18 months later. So we still have another four months. I don't know if you can stand it, <laughs> right. but uh, 
I guess the main thing I'm trying to say from a practical point of view is that I think the economy is in a slowing pattern. I mentioned employment increases slowing. And so I could continue to be part of uh, Tom's thought process. Our company surveys have slowed. Right. They were, we survey companies and zero to 150 is in the middle. Right. And uh, the, the, sur- the surveys two years ago were 61. Right. And last week they were forty nine. Okay. And, and so, I want to I want to digress over to your wonderful page in your research note on China, and what Ed Hyman does, folks, and this is textbook Ed Hyman, is he looks at the equity market and all the media overwhelm of the Hang Seng Index, the Hong Kong Index, and the Shanghai Composite, and you bring it right over Ed Hyman to the decline in interest rates in China. Are they going to export a new low yield? Are they going to export disinflation wow. and deflation to the United States? Well, I was you got me there. I I was going in a different direction, but let me explain. Uh, their yields, like you point out, uh, have been making new lows. And that helps explain why U.S. yields have been pretty quiet. It also, the, the weakness in China has ex- helped explain why commodity prices have been weak. And it's been pretty clear to me that China has been exporting at least disinflation or slower inflation. And in some cases, deflation. There's a lot of news in the papers today about lithium prices, which are down 80 percent. And so there's you're right. They're exporting either disinflation or deflation, but also. Uh, if you go back to the George Soros reflexivity, which is that when something right. can't go on forever, it doesn't. <laughs> and there's a chance uh, that we've reached that point in China this week uh, with their cut in the triple R. And so the stock market right. there has rallied almost 10 percent. And this morning, uh, the price of oil, the WTI in the U.S., is up to about forty six dollars. It was in the low forties. So So, anyway. So, Ed, I mean, you know, that kind of brings up a good point. I want to follow on Tom's question here. If we've got China slower than people anticipated, if we've got Europe weaker than people would like to see, particularly Germany, I mean, boy, you see the, the challenges there. Can the U.S. be that decoupled from the rest of the world in being a growth marketplace when so much of the rest of the world is you know, if not in recession, darn close to it? No. You know, Alan Greenspan, who enjoyed being inscrutable, <laughs> but he also coined some pretty good thoughts, one of which in the late 90s was that the U.S. cannot be an oasis of prosperity. And that's what we have now. I think you're correctly uh, pointing that out. And the data this morning out of Europe uh, is weak. We also survey companies that have sales in weak in Europe. Mm-hmm. And that survey is about 32. Uh, the U.S. comparable survey is 49, to put right. it in perspective. And, and then over in China, our survey there is about 32. Uh, and so that gives the, the world economy you know, a soft <clears throat> inclination. But like I mentioned this morning, because uh, I live up right on the edge, uh, the the news out of China is is a little bit better. Uh, I mentioned right. oil prices have bounced up a little bit, and it's, the, their right. stock market has bounced up a little bit. 
So I can't tell if they're, if this triple R cut this week is the beginning of a real serious effort. Uh, they've had right. some false starts before, but it's it's a move in the right direction, and we'll see right. if it bears fruit. Yeah, Tom, and I want you to talk about one of the great fears. You hearken back to the 90s, and I'd even take it back to Mr. Isaacs in the 80s as well. In the zeitgeist of American global Wall Street, there is a real fear of our small banks linked in to bad real estate loans. Is it a legitimate fear? Is this something that we need to study or is it noise? It's not noise. So every week uh, on Friday afternoon, I get the government data on bank deposits and they are going down. They're down about two or 3%, which is the biggest drop since the 1930s, which is a sobering point by itself. So that gets back, you know, the bank deposits are essentially the money supply. It's 85% of the money supply. So it's, it, you gotta watch it. This is my 13th Fed tightening cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not, this is, I'm, I'm a, I'm a gnarled veteran right. of uh, these cycles. And uh, right. every single one of them has had financial shocks or crises. And so the one we had earlier this year, or earlier last year, excuse me, uh, was uh, SVB and the small banks having a deposit, running their deposits. Uh, that was a shock crisis. And I think we're probably going to get another one before this is over. Okay. And I got one one last thought here uh, before we let you go. And this is with great respect for what, uh, folks, I can't say enough. And I understand Sweeney and McKee and Lisa are too young for this, but we used (laughs) to actually get printed research reports and you would wait on Tuesday to get the C.J. Lawrence Green Book and it would come out. It was Ed Hyman. And then a guy named Yed Yardeni picked it up. (laughs) Ed Hyman, do you have the Yardeni optimism that corporations will adapt that we will see a 10, a 15, a 20% lift in the Yardeni duration of stock prosperity in America, getting out to what, Dow 40,000, Dow 45,000? Do you share that optimism with uh, the gentleman from Yale University? I don't, but I like Ed Yardeni a lot. And I follow his work, I follow his thinking, Uh, I respect him. when I left C.J. Lawrence, he replaced me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. So, you know, the world goes around. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I really do uh, think about what he's thinking about. And it goes back to, you know, some thoughts about the 1930s. As I mentioned, uh, I think monetary tightening is extremely strong right now. Monetary tightening. And that keeps me away. At the moment... Uh, my view and our house view uh, is that the market's going up. Uh, and that's because inflation's coming down, the Fed's on pause, and the economy's still fine. Uh, but I would guess, uh, and Paul, you were needling me a little bit there on the recession story, but I think the economy will get weaker, earnings will go down, right. and then it'll be a fight between declining earnings and the Fed cutting yeah. interest rates. 
Ed Hyman, thank you so much. Yes. Uh, with Evercore ISI, I can't say enough about how he changed modern market economics. I put him and Alan Greenspan together. They simply changed how we digest the game day by day. Ed Hyman, uh, thank you on YouTube, on CarPlay. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a joy, and, and Paul, I, I, I gotta—I just did this on LinkedIn and Twitter, which is it, it's it's borderline entertainment about entertainment. <laughs> Lucas Shaw pulls out the typewriter Saturday evening, eight yep. p.m., and you don't know this, but he's doing this at the bar of the Sunset Tower nice. Hotel. Nice. Now, it, I mean, it's exclusive. I've sat there with a number of fancy people. I mean, the owner Jeff Klein yep. knows that Lucas Shaw is a player. I love what Jeff Klein says about the Sunset Tower Grill. He says it's where a duchess can be a devil, a celebrity like Lucas Shaw can dine with his family one night and his mistress, this mistress, <laughs> the next. I, like I mean, that's place. the L.A. that Lucas Shaw covers here. Have you ever been in the Sunset Grill with fancy people I having have. fancy drinks? <laughs> I, was, I was there what like happens? two weeks ago. <laughs> two weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> you didn't fall in the swimming pool, right? I did not fall in the swimming okay. pool. Okay. What, what, what happens now with Paul Sweeney and Lucas Shaw's Hollywood blown up? What are the conversation at Jeff Klein's Grill? The conversation, depending on what company you work for, but at a lot of them is, will my company still be around or at least still be independent in six to 12 months, I would say. So you've got uh, Paramount, which has been the, the subject of, kind of near constant deal speculation for several months, and it's now starting to feel pretty real. You've got Warner Brothers Discovery, led by David Zaslav, who seems like he realizes his company is still not big enough or feels his company is still not big enough and wants to merge with something else. You've got Comcast sitting on the sidelines figuring if it wants to do something. You've got Disney and Bob Iger making cuts and also talking about different deals. So there's there's right. a lot going on. I got eight questions. They're going to resell <laughs> this, folks. We're commercial free this entire hour. We go from Edward Hyman and then wow. step it up to Lucas Shaw. I mean, it's pretty good here. And we're on CarPlay good. on YouTube as well. Paul Sweeney with 14 questions for Lucas Shaw. And Lucas Shaw covers all the media entertainment for Bloomberg News out of our stylish LA office, uh, I will mention. Um, Lucas, let's start with Paramount Global. We have to go to Sherry Redstone, the daughter of one of the greatest media moguls, I think, over the last 50 years, uh, Sumner Redstone. She's the control shareholder. What do you think she's thinking here? Why would she consider now, after all these years, maybe thinking about selling the company? I, I think there are two primary reasons. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Paramount over the years. Most of it not real. There weren't. She she done. She did not seem open to to selling. But I think now she's looking at her business, 
and it is more challenged than it's ever been and it doesn't seem like there's an obvious or even a particularly difficult solution you know they own all these cable networks that are shrinking by the day their streaming service is the sixth best fifth sixth best <laughs> streaming service and it loses a bunch of money so that's one issue you know they've had to, to cut the dividend that gets paid to the holding company of her family which is sort of like its piggy yep. bank the other one that i've been told by people close to her was that she was pretty seriously she's jewish and she was very affected by what happened in october really? and is starting okay. to devote more of her time and attention to matters related to that and education and so you combine the fact that the family empire is sort of crumbling and she now has something else that she figured she could spend her time and money on. And I think that mm -hmm. combination means that she's now ready to, to part with it. Well, the reporting uh, today, um, David Ellison, the son of Larry Ellison of Oracle, maybe he's considered. What do we know about David Ellison and how legit he might be as a potential buyer? Look, he is very impressive, I will say. He, he entered, you, you had these two Ellison kids, David Ellison and Megan Ellison, enter Hollywood 10, 15 years ago. And I think a lot of people looked at them with suspicion. Yeah. You know, you trust fund kids, their dad's one of the <laughs> richest guys in the world. They just want to play with daddy's so. money yeah. and make oh, movies. Um, Megan Ellison went one direction. She made all these art house movies with, with high-end directors. The, the product creatively was great. Commercially, it was a disaster. Okay. David Ellison basically went in the opposite direction. He decided he liked making big blockbuster movies. And so he went and had a deal with Paramount where he co-financed, co-produced their biggest movies, Star Trek and, oh. and Mission Impossible, and has done pretty well and continues to right. expand his business. Now, if he is he the person who's going to have a solution for Paramount? That's hard for me to say because I'm not sure anyone does. But it would be foolish to, to bet against him because he's proven to be a pretty good operator in the last 15 years. Down Sunset Boulevard is one of my favorite leather chairs in America. It's the Cuban Seed Cigar Company, which has literally been there in the middle of World War II. It's a great story of families nice. that rolls their own cigars. It's just a glorious, glorious family. Every time I sit there, Lucas, somebody fancy walks in. So two guys are sitting there right now. What are they saying about David Zavslev? We've seen New York media write that this guy, after everything with Warner Brothers Discovery, is still an outsider. With the stock performance, is Mr. Zavslev ever more an outsider? I, I have to start by asking, what is your favorite or preferred type of cigar? Well, I, what I go for is not treated. I mean, you know, like Lisa's trying to get me on the fancy cherry oaked ones and all that. No. So my favorite run-of-the-mill cigar is a Padron 1964. It's a little lighter than nice. the 1926. So I, I go with that. But you're at Cuban Seed. I mean, one day on there, Cy Stallone walks in. I mean, <laughs> what is that about? You know, I didn't, I didn't say Mr. Stallone, you know, all that. Lisa would have gone mental. Is the, the Rock walked in there once. We were here oh, yesterday. Boy. Lisa's going nuts about The Rock. Let's rip up the script right now. Yes. <laughs> How big is The Rock in L.A. right now with his deal with Netflix? His deal with Endeavor. I, or does he have a deal with Netflix that I missed? Did, help me here. Lisa, he, help me here. He's he, now part of the board for TKO. Yes, group. which is, yes, an, yes, sorry, which is affiliated, with affiliated with Endeavor. Yep. Uh, he's one of the, well, uh, I'll do The Rock briefly and then we can go to Zaslav. Yeah. The Rock yeah. is one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yep. Um, his dependability, I think, in the last couple of years has actually been a little shakier than it was before. 
Um, but he's he's huge star, huge following, right. and yeah. then obviously because of his his history with yeah. the WWE, joining the board at TKO makes a lot he of sense. He said bad things about. The, do you need Kleenex? I do. Do you I need Kleenex? Kleenex. I'll throw it over and, there. And um, there's not. a Kleenex for Lisa. Okay, go to Zavzlov now. This is serious. I mean, with CNN and all that, where does Mr. Zavzlov fit in for 2024? Look, he's had his bumps as the the CEO of that company. A lot of them, I think, have been about sort of how the how he's executed and the, the, the selling of those strategies have right. just, they have pissed off a lot of people in Hollywood because of the way yeah. that he's, he's treated certain filmmakers and certain ideas. But his company faces basically the same challenges as Sherry Redstone and Paramount. They're just maybe twice as big. Um, yeah. And the, the two <clears throat> things that I do think they have going for them are, they, their TV studio is much larger and more productive, <clears throat> and so they can keep selling stuff. Right. And they have a streaming right. service that is better than Paramount Plus. Mike just emailed in. It's in my headphones. Mike says, forget the Hollywood talk, do the market. So hold on, Lucas. <laughs> okay. Paul Sweeney's got a bunch of questions. Is Ira Jersey told you the GDP price index really something in yields come in? Thank you, Rich Truman, uh, for that. The two-year yield in a solid two basis points. Ten-year in a big, big three basis points. So there is a yield move off the data. And you see it in the equity markets with a lift here. We'll get to the entertainment stocks in a moment, but it's, it's ugly. On CarPlay. Play on YouTube, Lucas Shaw with us. I can't say enough about screen time, Paul. Hey, Lucas, you and your team, you're in Hollywood. You're based in L.A. You're really got your finger on the pulse of what's happening in that town. I got to believe, as you mentioned earlier, people got to be just really scared about the future of their business. Um, I, I, you know, as an investor, I don't think I can invest in that business right now. And I've been investing in media for 35 years. I can't do it right now because I have no idea where the business is going. What's the feeling in Los Angeles when you talk to the writers, the directors, the people that are really involved in this business? Are they really scared about the future of media? Well, I'd say the feelings are mixed because you have to remember that when you're talking about writers and actors and directors, a lot of them spent 2023 out of work, right? Yeah, there were two right. prolonged labor stoppages. The writers went on strike, followed by the actors. And so I think some people entered this year slightly hopeful mm -hmm. because they at least could get back to work. Now, I think those paying attention to the macro story, to, to kind of to what you said, are a little more concerned because they're seeing almost every company, if not cutting back, kind of leveling off the spend. And you have to you know, think about the fact that over the last eight, 10 years, there's been this sort of unprecedented surge in the amount of stuff yep. being made. Yep. Just you know, the number of TV shows from like 200 to 600, and that's leveling off. I think people think that's going to go down. This business is not collapsing. You know, you talk about investing. The you know people who've invested in Netflix have done pretty well right, over the right. last couple of years. Certainly over the last 10. But what we don't know is is which companies are going to benefit or kind of survive the shakeout. And there's a little bit of market distortion because you've got a couple of players in Apple and Amazon. Who are who can spend a lot of money without really worrying about how profitable their entertainment businesses are? That's true. That's that's really tough. How about our good friends at Disney? That's one of the the stories that I think people have a lot of uh, interest in. Bob Iger coming back. Um, what's the call there on Disney? What's the feeling in? in Los Angeles about the future of this company, maybe the future of, of Bob Iger and the management team there? Well, Disney pr provokes a lot of uncertainty. You know, Iger comes back and he had been one of the great media CEOs, really one of the great CEOs of the, the 21st century. Yeah. And they thought mm -hmm. that he was going to steady the company. Then he goes about and fires a bunch of people and starts talking about what he's going to sell, what he's not going to sell, sort of almost seems to be flirting with potential suitors through the press to figure out what's possible. Um, 
And the but the real problem for for Iger and Disney is that they had been the most dependable studio yep. in the town. You know, their every movie they made seemed to become a big <clears throat> hit. When they launched their streaming service, they did it perfectly with The Mandalorian, the right Star Wars show. And yet, right. all at the same time, Lucasfilm, which makes Star Wars, Pixar, Disney Animation, and the Disney live-action movies seem to have hit a wall. Yep. And it's hard to know what to do about that, and it takes a few right. years to turn it around. I want to—we got to be positive here with Lucasfilm. Sure. <laughs> I mean, Paul Swinney and Lucas here, it's like the world's coming to an end in Hollywood. <laughs> I showed Afterthought the other day Greg Peck in 12 O'Clock High. And it's just she was she fell apart. I mean, Great. come on, it's 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 real war footage, yep. 1950s. Hanks and Spielberg, in two days, folks. Apple TV, you're going to see uh, Masters uh, of the Air. Lucas, this is a bet by the old school on the new technology through Apple TV and a 10-year soap opera of getting this thing made. I've been looking at the British reviews, The Guardian, BBC, and that, which are massively rave. What's the buzz on screen time about the Hank Spielberg vehicle on World War II? Well, I, in general, the buzz around Apple original programming is strong. You know, they have come in and invested in really high caliber filmmakers and movie stars to make their TV shows pop and stand out. Because you have to remember, there's nothing else to watch on Apple TV Plus but their original programming. Now, not to go negative, the challenge for Apple <laughs> is that nobody watches their stuff outside of like LA and New York. Because the audio, well, partially because they don't have that library. And so it's harder for people to, they, people don't make it a habit of going into that So service. then why don't they buy Paramount and put them out of their misery? Because Apple doesn't like to do the things like that. They don't okay. do big M&A. They don't seem interested in a library, but the shows that they make are really good. That's why, you know, they just got this, I don't know, second, third most Oscar nominations of any studio, largely because of the, the Scorsese movie, but also the Ridley Scott movie. They've got a really impressive lineup of movies coming out later this year. And the thing to remember, I mean, all of these companies are still making okay. great products. I'm going to bring this over to Paul Sweeney's world. <laughs> what did Masters of the Air cost? I haven't seen what the estimates are, but I would imagine a, a heck of a lot of money. A heck of a lot of money. See, there's a CFA level yeah. four right there. Paul, come on. It costs $100 million plus, more money than God, financed for low rates, Spielberg and Hanks. Yep. Paul Sweeney, they're doing that on what, nine ninety nine a month? Yeah. They got $10 I don't million. Get it. Apple's got $10 billion of free cash flow. So to Lucas's point, uh, they can invest whatever they want. Let's go to one of the really positive stories coming out of Hollywood or just the entertainment business, that of being Netflix. They've obviously revolutionized the television business, disrupted it like no other business. Um, they said forever and ever and ever, we're not going to do live events. We're not going to do sports. Who needs that kind of stuff? Then they do this deal with WWE. Did that change some minds in Hollywood? Are people kind of saying, hmm, maybe they will consider live events maybe make a move for live sports, that kind of thing? I, I, I did a poll of some top entertainment industry executives at the end of last year, and I asked them how many years they thought it would be before Netflix got into live sports, live events. And the, first of all, I'd say 80 to 90% of people said that they would as opposed to okay. never. And of those, most people thought it would be in the next three years. I think there was this... You know, Netflix has said they wouldn't do a lot of things. They said they wouldn't do advertising. Right. Now they're doing advertising. They said they wouldn't abandon binge viewing or binge releases, which they haven't, but they now space out some of their seasons, <clears throat> drop them in two parts. Um, and so I think over time, Netflix has embraced certain traditional behaviors because it turns out that you don't have to reinvent 
everything <laughs> in the playbook. And once you right. go into an advertising supported service, having a live mm-hmm. event that can command a lot of viewers yep. like wrestling yep. Right. Yep. is good. Now, whether they're going to go in and bid a couple billion dollars a year for NBA rights, that I'm still a little skeptical of, but I'm less skeptical right. of it yep. than I was before. One minute. Thank you so much for joining us off of Tokyo and Sundance and the rest of it. The glory, well, He's got the rock star life of us, Lucas yeah. Shaw, with screen time. That's how they the do it. The death of the Los Angeles Times. I get <laughs> oh. I wasn't sure where you were going I get, with that. Yeah. Well, nobody ever knows. Lucas, Lisa never knows where I'm going. I mean, but come on. I grew up where the Los Angeles Times mattered. Times Mirror. Is it dying? Look, my dad worked there for almost 40 years. It's one of wow. the saddest things I could see. Um, I don't know that it's dying, but it's in really, 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 really bad shape. You know, it was one of these newspapers that got bought by a billionaire who seemed to want to do the right thing. But it, didn't. Okay, yeah. and, his, and his daughter had certain ideas about it, but they've just never figured out what the editorial and business strategy is to make it a sustainable paper, which is insane to me because it's the, it's got, it's the only real newspaper in the second biggest city in the country. It's becoming kind of the only real newspaper in California, which is home Agreed. to so Agreed. many people. And you'd think you could figure it out, and I'd, I'd, right. it baffles me. This is great. We, we, Lucas yep. and I, we, Paul, you can join us here. We can bring Lisa uh, as well. You know, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I could see us at the Sunset Grill oh, where a duchess can be a devil and a celebrity like Lucas Shaw can dine with his family one night and his mistress the next. Lisa, this is inappropriate. That's why <laughs> Lucas Shaw's here. Exactly. Thank you so much with screen time. I put it out on Twitter, Twitter and LinkedIn. Can't say enough. This guy works on all the entertainment uh, that we consume. Joining us now on the train wreck is Garrett Nelson, CFRA Research Senior Equity uh, Analyst. Garrett, help me here on Tesla. How bad was the conference call? Well, our point is that this is a stock that more than doubled last year. So we think what you're seeing in terms of this profit taking um, is healthy price action. We didn't think the call was that bad. We think the stock is selling off because... Uh, investors are alarmed about the guidance for slowing uh, auto shipment growth right. in 2024, but that was already baked into everyone's estimates. So it was understood that they were not going to continue to grow their auto deliveries by 38% this year like they did last year. Is only Are people only buying Teslas? The cliche out there, and we go to Lisa Mateo on this because she's like <laughs> EV queen, but the, the basic idea I have is EVs are a failure in America except Tesla and so the units are pretty good because that's the only car people are buying. Is that right? That's pretty much accurate. Uh, if you look, Tesla's market share in the U.S. was 55 percent of the of the U.S. EV market last year. Where the real oversaturation is is the other 45 percent. All the non-Tesla EVs are just not selling well. They're sitting on dealer lots. Uh, inventories in December were 117 days supply uh, for EVs overall. Um, which is way above the historic average uh, for automobiles of 60 days. So there's a huge inventory glut of non-Tesla EVs. So, Garrett, if if I'm a bull, if I have a buy rating, and I think it's a 50 PE is based upon my target, I have to be bullish about EVs in general, don't I? I, It's not just a Tesla call. I have to be a bull on EVs in North America, don't I? 
Uh, not necessarily. You have to be bullish, I think, on Tesla. Hmm, okay. um, we're actually fairly bullish on the EV, uh, fair, fairly bearish on the EV market overall. In terms of adoption rates are much slower than we thought we would see a few years ago. If you look, 7.6% of all new vehicle sales last year were EVs. We think a lot of automakers were hoping that those percentages would be above hmm. 10% at that point. So, um, But there's no question, there's a lot of demand. Uh, for Tesla EVs. We know the Cybertruck reservation count is somewhere north of 2 million units, wow. far and away the highest of any uh, vehicle model in the US. And then last night, they confirmed these rumors of this next gen mass market EV, where first production could come as soon as mid uh, next year. So, I mean, Garrett, I was I just bought an, a new car. And I did at the car I was looking at, the automobile I was looking at, I did look at the EV version, but the premium to go EV over ice was so big. And me, I, I could care less about EVs in the environment. I'll, I'll do it another way. But I mean, what do you do here? I mean, you have to bring the price down, don't you? Is that even viable for this industry over the next several years? So if you look over the last year, the price has come down. You look at the EV price premium in, in December, it was only 4%. A year earlier, it was uh -huh. over 30%. So 2023 was a year in which the EV price premium really collapsed. And we think that we're getting near an inflection point um, where EVs are, are going to well, they're already very close to price parity with internal combustion engine vehicles, and that's going to be a big right. positive that's going to stimulate right. demand. Garrett, let's talk about Mr. Musk. And and I do this with great respect, folks, for his technological innovation yep. and all that he's done. You know, the, forget about the notoriety and all the idiocy. Garrett, is he devoting chairman or CEO energy to Tesla? Good question. Yeah, that's a good question. There's My no only good one of the day, so go with it, Garrett. That's it. Mateo he, has all the good ones. He, he's, he's spread very thin across SpaceX, Tesla, and all of his other businesses, now X, uh, yeah. formerly Twitter. Um, so there's Twitter. no question he's spread thin. Um, but what's become clear, if you look back, you know, the investor days over the last two or three years, there's a very deep bench at Tesla. Um, while he is the face of the company, the face of the brand, uh, behind right. him is a very strong, capable team uh, of, yeah. of brilliant engineers. Bloomberg Business Flash. This is from our, our, our European travel correspondent, Charles Pellet. Europe on $5 a day. Paris, Garrett Nelson, bans big, ugly American cars, and they lead with a Cybertruck. How's the Cybertruck doing? <laughs> Besides, I'm not going to see it on Rue Dauphine in Paris. Well, the, the, the Tesla faces a high-class problem with the Cybertruck. We know the reservation count is off the charts. Uh, the problem with this is the manufacturing me methods are much more difficult than the Model Y or the Model 3. So, uh, and, and Musk himself has admitted this. It's going to be very difficult to ramp production of the Cybertruck. It's not going to look anything like the ramp up of the Model 3 or the Model Y that we've seen in past years. So, uh, the, you know, the challenge for them is really how quickly can they ramp up and get that vehicle in the hands of reservation holders. So, you know, Garrett, I looked at the Ford, I actually drove the Ford F-150 Lightning, which was an awesome vehicle. Um, but I was actually surprised that Ford cut back the production there. So what does that tell you about the EV space or is that a Ford specific issue? Yeah, we think, again, that goes back to the the, the issue with non-Tesla EVs. 
the demand just isn't there. And so you're seeing automakers, you're seeing GM, Ford, and others start to cut back yeah. on on those models in favor of, of gas-powered models, which are selling much better. In Ford's case, uh, the Bronco. I've got to leave it there. Garrett Nelson, thanks for the brief there on Tesla. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Boring is good for Rabobank. Let's get right to it. Jane Foley joins us at Rabobank in, in London. When it's this quiet, Jane, you, the shop does well, right? Because people are hedging commercial transactions you're taking in a fee. I mean, it must be glorious now that foreign exchange is so boring. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I've met clients before who said, oh, you know what? We didn't bother hedging last year because ah. the, the foreign exchange may, uh, was, was flat. And now this year, we wished we had because it's really uh, uh, eaten into our profits. And so, sometimes they come to us when the door is already, uh, uh, right. you know, the horse is already bolted. But uh, <laughs> so not necessarily good. But, you know, I would say that there's still lots to be considering in the foreign exchange world. We've seen the euro move a little bit this afternoon on the back of uh, the Lagarde uh, press conference. And, of course, this week we've seen the yen moving, too, as a market begins right. to get a bit more excited about an earlier uh, possible interest rate hike well uh, maybe soon as much let me go there so we can make some money folks for those of you on global wall street that don't look at euro yen euro yen is my litmus paper a weak yen is a bigger number 155 160 hit 161 last week what is the tension for the institutions of japan with euro yen ever weaker yen stronger euro well, again, it depends who you are in Japan. So, you know, the big exporters, the Toyotas, et cetera, of this world, well, they tend to do pretty well uh, when the yen is, is, is pretty weak, you know, and then they, they see demand picking up. And that's pretty good for them because it, even if uh, inflation uh, um, is is high in, in Japan and it has been uh, uh, relatively high in the last couple of years, they can just export that through their pricings. But it's it's the domestic companies who, or at least the companies with the domestic audience, domestic consumer facing consumer, they're the ones in the last couple of years who've been a little bit uncomfortable because they've seen you know higher commodity prices which of course have come off those peaks right now uh, but they cannot or they find it much more difficult to pass on at the pricing and in, into uh, a country where people have to uh, until very recently been reluctant uh, to accept that prices ever go up right hey jane we we did hear from uh, the european central bank today christine lagarde standing by comments on a quote likely summer rate cut how, how does that kind of inform your view of some of the European currencies? 
You know, that 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 speech which you talked about, the likely summer uh, rate cut, was made last week to, um, you know, one of your colleagues in um, yeah. Davos. Uh, and I think there was a little bit of, uh, you know, the headlines, you know, take away some of the context of, of that. I, I, I don't think, you know, she was saying, yes, we, you know, we'll be cutting in, interest rates in, in June. I just think she was being a, li- a little bit more vague, really, about that uh, um about that timing. But, uh, you know, I, I think what's interesting today, particularly from uh, t- today's comments, or at least from the market reaction, because the market reaction has seen this as being fairly dovish. And I think the reason for that is that there wasn't a forceful pushback against market pricing. And market pricing, as we know, um, has been pricing in, you know, a couple of interest rate cuts, to say, in a, in a six-month view. Uh, many economists are, are far more doubtful of that. But if she could have used that opportunity to push back on mm-hmm. that, and, and she didn't. And, and I think, therefore, the market thought well you know she's not pushing back on us uh, maybe uh, maybe the ECB could go could go earlier so I think that's been the takeaway today but what she did say is that uh, they are data focused yep. and I don't think any decision yet has been made by them uh, Jane the British pound sterling here you've got a note out saying hey politics matter here and the debt of the UK matters talk to us about kind of your views on the pound sterling well, you know, this comes on the back of uh, some data we had earlier in the week that said actually in, in December, uh, public financing uh, uh, figures were, were better than expected, which they were. And of course, that feeds into Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, who's already indicated, in fact, he was at Davos last week saying this, that he will be cutting taxes. Now, obviously, that uh, is designed to help the Tory party no. into the election, which is expected at the end of the year. No. But the, the, the Tory party are so far behind Labour, you know, good old 20 points or so behind labor that right. it probably won't make too much difference but the the, the, the issue with the fiscal situation and we had uh, you know another think tank this morning saying that the the new government whoever wins the election um, will be faced the worst fiscal position um, that a new government right. has taken in, in 70 years and and that I think is is, is quite interesting because you recall a couple of years ago right. we had the, the the Liz trust fiasco the good market basically said no you know we're not going to tolerate uh, unfunded spending and with that memory i think whoever takes over the, the right. chancellorship um in after this election you know will, will have to um take upon fiscal right. discipline which actually might mean well, that from the markets this is a boring election jane thank you jane foley with an fx update i've been remiss in not doing enough on foreign exchange here we'll promise to do more of that this is the bloomberg surveillance podcast bringing you the best in economics finance, investment, and international relations, you can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.